morning, especially on this incredible day where we celebrate mothers. Um, I got to be honest, though, it's going to be really hard to follow that morning act of games and prizes and food and fun and these incredible worship songs, but I'm going to do my darndest to try. Um, I kept waiting for this moment where I would like bust at the seams with laughter because we had all these incredible ingredients for just a hilarious, undignified moment this morning, but I never quite got there. But um, not as much, at least, as a few weeks ago when I don't know how many of you were here for this moment, but I was up here, like, dismissing you and giving you an announcement, and I was real serious. And um, Ellen Felt, our worship director, <laughs> was behind me, just, you know, standing over there. Sorry, I'm throwing you under the bus, Ellen. And uh, as I was all serious and praying and dismissing you, she just fell off of stage. <laughs> just fell off the stage. Anyways, I kept waiting for a moment like that this morning um, so that you could live that down, Ellen. Really, it was, I was looking out for you, um, but it never really happened. So I'm in kind of a tough spot up here because as many of you as are celebrating this morning, and we had this great celebratory way to kick off the service, I know that there's a lot of you in this room that are not celebrating this morning. In fact, I'm guessing that we have a mixture of both groups of people in this room. People for whom Mother's Day is really joy-filled and wonder-filled, and people for whom Mother's Day is filled with grief and the reminder of tragedy and loss. And so I'm going to try and do something this morning that might prove to be a little tricky, but I'm going to give it a good try. I'm going to try and speak to both groups of you, both those who are celebrating and those who are mourning this morning. Because honestly, I have both of those parts in me as well. I have an absolutely incredible mama who's here this morning and an incredible grandmother and an incredible mother-in-law. And so I have so much to celebrate. And I have three little ones who ran circles around me all morning this morning. Um... But I also have this hole in my heart from the loss of one of my daughters that I know will never be made whole again until the day I stand before the presence of my Father in heaven. And so I'm with you in that mixed group of people. Um, so if you would indulge me, I want to read something to you that I found on social media this week that I thought was a really good way to address all groups of women who are gathered here this morning. And so I'm going to do a toast of sorts. I brought my um, coffee cup up here. It's a Wonder Woman coffee cup. Um, in fact, it's pretty awesome because it says Tira, Lasso, and coffee, and the opportunity to check each one of those. And when the coffee's warm, it checks coffee. So it's pretty amazing. Um, anyway, so I have this coffee cup up here, and uh, I want to read this toast to you, and I will toast to you. It's called The Wide Spectrum of Mothering. To those who gave birth this year to their first child, we celebrate with you. To those who lost a child this year, we mourn with you. To those who are in the trenches with little ones every day and wear the badge of food stains, we appreciate you. That's from one mom to another, I nod to you. Um, to those who experience loss through miscarriage, failed adoptions, or running away, we mourn with you. To those who walk the hard path of infertility, fraught with pokes, prods, tears, and disappointment, we walk with you. 
Forgive us when we say foolish things. We don't mean to make this harder than it is. To those who are foster moms, mentor moms, and spiritual moms, oh, how we desperately need you. To those who have warm and close relationships with your children, we celebrate you on this day. To those who have disappointment, heartache, and distance with your children, we sit with you on this morning. To those who lost their mothers this year, we grieve with you. To those who experienced abuse at the hands of your own mother, we acknowledge your experience. To those who have aborted children, we remember them and we remember you on this day. To those who are single and long to be married and mothering your own children, we mourn that life has not turned out quite the way that you had longed for it to be. To those who step-parent, we walk with you on these complex paths. To those who envisioned lavishing love on grandchildren, and yet that dream is not to be quite yet, we grieve with you. To those who will have emptier nests in the year to come, we grieve and we rejoice with you. To those who place children up for adoption, we commend you for your selflessness and remember how you hold that child in your heart. And to those who are pregnant with new life, both expected and surprising, we anticipate alongside you. This Mother's Day, we walk with you. Mothering is not for the faint at heart, and we have real warriors in our midst. We remember you. So I lift my glass to you, warriors, beautiful women gathered in this room this morning, in each one of your walks, in each one of your joys and burden. I lift my glass and say cheers to you and your strength. Would you pray with me? Jesus, we come before you this morning on this holy, beautiful day, and we pray that you would guide us in this conversation that we're about to have. Father, would you enlighten us through your scripture? Father, use your word this morning to point us to a new way, a way filled with redemption. We pray this in your name. Go ahead and open up your Bibles to Genesis chapter 3, please. There are some Bibles at the end of every pew. You can also pull up the Bible app on your phone or the Conduit app. Genesis is the very first book in the Bible, so it's right at the get-go. And we're going to open up to chapter 3 of Genesis, verse 1. Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. I'll give you a second. All right, so this is what it says. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, 
tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and she ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And both the man and the wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid myself. He said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman who you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. So the Lord God said, serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken. For you are dust, and to dust you shall return. So this is the excerpt of the Bible that is traditionally known as the curse. It's where everything that was perfect, where everything that was good in the Garden of Eden, just as God had created it, where everything that was beautiful goes haywire. And everything begins to decompose. So essentially the summary of what we just read is that there's this tree in the middle of the Garden of Eden where God walks freely in intimacy with both man and woman and he forbids Adam and Eve to eat from that tree. Now, Adam and Eve, they're surrounded by beauty and water and trees that are teeming with fruit and vegetation. They're surrounded by more food than they could ever desire or want. But God has restricted just one tree from them. And he warned Adam about this tree in the chapter before this, in Genesis chapter 2. He warned that death would be the consequence if he were to partake in the fruit from that tree, the tree that's also known as the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But the serpent, it says, at the beginning of Genesis chapter 3 that we just read in verse 1, says he was very crafty. So he manipulates Eve and he deceives her by saying, in my own paraphrase, if you'll allow me, you surely won't die. God knows that if you eat this fruit, you'll become just like him with the knowledge of both good and evil, but you won't die. And very unfortunately, both Eve and Adam 
Do you hear Adam in that too? Because the text says that Adam was with Eve and that uh, he was the one that God gave the direct commandment to not to partake in eating of the fruit of that tree. So they're together. They're both deceived. So Eve goes to the tree. She takes a piece of fruit. She bites into it. And she shares it with Adam, who eats from it as well. And as soon as they do, Scripture says they were filled with shame. Their eyes became opened. And they became shameful both at each other because of their nakedness and before their creator to the God who called out to them, where are you and who finds them hiding? So God in his justice outlines the consequences that will come for all three parties involved in this interaction, for the serpent, for the woman, and for the man. That's what we just read in Genesis chapter 3. And as a consequence of the, of, the, of the consequences for the man, the woman, and the serpent, there will be consequences for all descendants of all generations to come in humanity. And that, my friends, is why this text is so relevant this morning. Because as we stand at the beginning of a kickoff of a series that's all about family, we got to know who our original mama and daddy are in the way that they shaped our behavior and the world that we live in. So these are the consequences that scripture lays out. For the serpent, an eternal curse, condemnation to the ground, an enmity between both him and woman. It says in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, I will cause hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. For the woman, pain in childbearing and the introduction of a gender hierarchy that never existed before this moment in Genesis chapter 3, in which she will be subject to man. And for the man, difficult work to get the earth to render sufficient resources. And thus, a fallen world, a creation in which sin has entered the equation, begins, and with it, decomposition. And y'all, I don't have to tell you this morning about how broken our world is because you already know it. You wake up every morning and you turn on the news or you start to scroll through your Facebook feed and you see it all around you. We see it in every one of the interactions we have. Sin has infiltrated absolutely everything from this moment in Genesis chapter 3 in the Garden of Eden forward and caused serious decomposition. First, in our relationship as humans with God, and second, and this is where I want to spend most of my time dwelling this morning, in our relationships with one another. Before Genesis chapter 3, in the book of Genesis chapter 2, if you'll indulge me for a moment and flip back to Genesis chapter 2, actually, you know what? I'm going to have you go one step further. Go back to Genesis chapter 1. I'm not going to read this all, I promise, um, but I do want you to see a pattern that emerges in Genesis chapter 1 and continues in Genesis chapter 2. You there with me? Genesis chapter 1, real quick, track with me. You can scroll through all of these paragraphs that outline the order of creation, every single thing that God has created. But what I want you to see is this pattern where after each thing that God created, he said a line. Someone tell me what the line is that God says after each act of creation. This is good. Scripture records, and God saw that it was good. 
Now, prize to the first person who can tell me what is the first created thing that God says is not good. You can find that in Genesis chapter 2. Anyone want to holler out to me, what is the first thing that Scripture records in Genesis chapter 2 that is created by God that he says is not good for man to be alone? I really thought the pastors here in the front row were going to steal that one, but silence from the front row. Um, You guys, this is insane to me. I mean it. This has serious consequences. God makes each and everything in creation, and he calls it good. But then when he makes just man and man alone, he says, this is not good. And he goes on to create woman. And you can see that in Genesis chapter 2. And I got to pause here for just a quick moment. I could go off on a total Wonder Woman female empowerment tangent right now. Um, But for the sake of time, I won't do that. What I will say today, though, is that especially in light of it being Mother's Day and in this celebration that we have of all of the women that are gathered here this morning in our midst, hey, woman, can I let you in on a secret that's not so secret at all? Because scripture, Genesis chapter 2, records this act of creation where God says it is not good for man to be alone. And he creates woman, which Genesis chapter 2 calls a suitable helper for man. Hey, woman, guess what? That translation is very shallow. The suitable helper translation in Hebrew is much more rich. And I want to enlighten you for just a moment. The Hebrew word used to describe helper in Genesis chapter 2 is the word azer. And let me tell you something about the word azer. It is recorded, that same exact word, 21 times in the Old Testament. And only two of those times does it refer to woman. And both of those times are right here in Genesis chapter 2. 17 times it refers to God himself. The omniscient, all-powerful, all-knowing God. In fact, when it's used, the word azer, when it's used to describe God in every other time in the Old Testament, it's used to describe as the God who comes to rescue us. And two other times the word azer is used in the Old Testament to denote a strong warrior. Hey, woman gathered here this morning, you are created in God's image, in the image of a God who rescues, in the image of a strong warrior, of the one who came to be co-ruler, friend, lover, and co-creator alongside Adam, subject to one only, to the God of the universe. So, one is not better than the other. This is the order of Genesis chapter 2 before everything goes haywire. One is not better than the other. In God's original creation, he says, this is not good for there to be just one. And so he creates woman to be a companion, a partner, a co-ruler, a lover to Adam, to live in mutuality together, and to live in unity with God himself in intimacy and with each other. And so we see that Eve is brought out of Adam's body. And then, for the rest of humanity, man will be brought out of woman's body. It is a beautiful display of mutuality, oneness, and unity in our very design by our Creator. Is it a surprise, then, that in Genesis 3, this unity with both God and our unity with one another is the very first thing that the serpent comes to attack? 
I don't think so. You see, the serpent is crafty. This is what Genesis chapter 3 says. It leads with the serpent was crafty. And so he attacks what he knows will unravel absolutely everything else. He brings division between God and humanity. And he creates a hierarchy between men and women. And the serpent was right. Because everything else began to unravel from that point forward. But that is not how the story ends. Flip back one more second to Genesis chapter 3.15 with me. I'm going to reread this, except this time I'm going to read it in a different translation. In the Amplified Bible translation, Genesis 3.15 says, I will put enmity, open hostility, between you and the woman, and between your seed offspring and her seed. He shall fatally bruise your head, and you shall only bruise his heel. Come on now, because I'm going to need to hear some hallelujahs in this place this morning, because even in the midst of the most devastating thing that has ever happened to humanity, God planted a seed of hope right there in the midst of the mess, in the midst of the tragedy. God reached out, and he spoke out a promise. He planted a seed of hope, and he whispered in this moment of betrayal and sin at its yuckiest, at his very introduction, and he whispered, I am going to redeem this. Because that offspring of woman, that seed that would fatally bruise the head of the serpent of our enemy was Jesus, my king. You see, in Genesis chapter 3, God planted the first seed for the gospel. And from that moment forward, creation ached for redemption and for the Redeemer who would fulfill this promise. Do you think that your situation is unredeemable? Is there something that you feel like absolutely no way can God work to redeem this situation? If that's the case, then allow me to speak this morning to amplify the voice of God that is whispering all over your situation. I am going to redeem this. Pastor Corey sent me an image earlier this week that I want to share with all of you. Because as I prepped for this message, it was really powerful to me. Can you go ahead and bring up that image, Jake? All right, so we've got this image. It's an image that was shared on social media by an artist of both Eve and Mary. And I want to read what the, way, what the artist said about it. Because as I looked at this image, the thing that struck me was the way that the two are looking at each other. So this is what the artist posted about this image. He said, it's like they were at some cosmic party where they didn't know each other at first. But once they got introduced to each other, they find out they're deeply connected on so many different levels. They also have like a billion mutual friends on Facebook. Eve is experiencing hope and grace from brokenness that she thought she would never see an end to. And yet her face could also be of a knowing mom bestowing wisdom and compassion on a new mom, as if saying, parenting is one of the greatest adventures and hardest adventures of a lifetime. You'll love them and you'll want to have them forever. But you may see one of them die before their time, and that's the absolute worst. Mary takes the hand of Eve and places it on her belly to let her feel the manifestation of restoring hope growing in her womb. 
And yet it's also a move of solidarity, accepting that entrance into that great cloud of witnesses of broken-hearted mothers who love their children more than all else. And then the author ends by saying, I can never fully understand the deep connections and conversations in the worldwide society of mothers, but this art invites me into that conversation. That Emmanuel is God with us, but he comes to us through one of us, a blessed and humble teenage woman, and honors and dignifies the sacrificial and holy life of being a mom. And so eventually, the Redeemer does come. The seed that was planted in Genesis 3.15 finds fulfillment. And it comes through a humble, ordinary mom, virgin, unmarried, from a nobody great comes from their town. And during his time on earth, this is a narrative that y'all are familiar with from the New Testament, during his time on earth, he never asserts power over people as a typical ruler of his day would have done. Or like the Jews expected him to. They expected a Messiah that would come and totally usurp all political authority and restore it to the Jews. But he doesn't. He never asserts power over man during his time as he walked on earth. Instead, he acted humbly and he gave all of his power away. I'm going to say that again. He gave all of his power away to humble fishermen, to a bunch of B team. Nobody, nobody means, they don't mean anything to anybody. Nobody's, as Pastor Corey likes to say, to women who were judged by their families and their peers, and to outcasts, lepers, and slaves alike. He is the promised one, the one who 1 John chapter 3, verse 8 says, came to destroy the works of the enemy. Isn't that crazy? Like the brother of Jesus says about Jesus, like kind of as a mission statement, he came to destroy the works of the enemy. Guess what works he came to destroy? The curse, the work of Genesis chapter 3. Jesus came to destroy it. And actually, it's interesting because the word destroy in Greek actually means to loosen or to unravel. And when I think of the word unravel, this is what I envision. I envision a sweater that's been knit. You pull on one of the threads. What happens? It all comes loose. Jesus comes to start yanking the threads of a fallen society, of a fallen world. He comes to unravel the curse of Genesis 3 on both man and woman to allow them to once again be in intimacy with their father and to restore the relationship between them. And my friends, this has implications for how we live. This is truly good news. You are more powerful than you think because Jesus gave all of his power to you, just like he did to his disciples, to the women, to the slaves, to the outcasts, to the lepers while he walked the earth. He has given all of his power to you. Romans 8.11 says, the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. You have the same power that rose Jesus from the dead. So here's the great news. Things do not have to be the way that they have always been. If the video bumper that was played this morning as a preview to our No Ordinary Family 
tugged some kind of strings inside your heart. If you've experienced pain and absence or conflict within the confines of your own family or in your relationships with other, hear this loud and clear. Things do not have to be as they have always been. We get to crush the serpent's head together through the new covenant. And one of the ways that we do that is by living lives of mutuality and peacemaking. This is good news, not just for you. This is good news for the whole church, capital C, the institution, and for the entire world. It is good news for every man, woman, and child. Our world has never been more divided than it is right now, and I think you'd agree with me on that. And unfortunately, for a lot of history, and I know that a lot of you are aware of this already, but for a lot of history, the church, capital C, institution, church, has been on the wrong side of history. We've built walls to keep people out, and I mean zero political illusion by that. We as a church have built walls to keep people out. We have oppressed others that we have seen as less than by enslaving others, by enabling evil, and by enforcing a gender hierarchy that has been at the root of some of the world's greatest injustices for far too long. But the gospel is good news for you, for me, for the church, for the whole world, for every man, woman, and child. It's good news that we have been made right in our standing before the Father through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and that we now have all of the authority of heaven vested inside of us through the power of the Holy Spirit. And I don't know about you, but I want to use that power to breathe life over death. Things and bring some things back to life, to restoration, to revival, to holiness. I don't know. You agree with me on that? I want to spend every ounce of my energy for the rest of my life using the power of the Holy Spirit that God has deposited in me, the same power that rose Jesus from the dead, to breathe life over broken things all around me, to breathe life over the oppressed who don't have a clear vision of who God is because the church has been on the wrong side of history and has continued to oppress them. I don't know about you, but I am ready to loosen this power that God has put inside of me to go ahead and loosen some chains in the world around me. Because I believe in restoration. I believe in the good news of the gospel. And Conduit is a church that says the gospel is good news. And it's not just good news for the people who gather inside the four walls of the church. It is good news for every man, woman, and child. And we won't stop until we've seen the redemption of the world. Jesus gave us the keys to all authority in heaven and earth to unlock restoration, revival, renewal, recentering, resurrection here on earth. And I'm all about seeing some people resurrected. Here's the thing, though, and this is where I think it all boils down this morning. This good news has to start with our families. So do you want to be a person of good news? Do you want to be an ambassador 
of good news, of optimism, that optimism that bubbles from the inside out. Then let me repeat to you something that Pastor Corey preached last weekend. Choose this day who you will serve. And I'll add to that, choose which order you'll follow. The order of the fall of the Old Testament, of the Old Covenant under the curse of Genesis 3, or the new order that Jesus brought in, in which he enables us to restore all things to make a way in the impossible for radical mutuality and effective disciple-making. So here's where it boils down. If you want to be a person of good news, let it start with your family. Are you an agent of reconciliation, or are you an oppressor? Are you holding down a pattern of what was, instead of releasing that and choosing forgiveness? Are you bitter? Are you stuck in the past? Or are you anxiously working toward what could still be? Are you sowing love and honor or discord and absence? It's no mistake that the only thing that God ever called not good in the Garden of Eden was the solitude of man. We are better together. God has woven us together as gospel community and as his family because we are better together. We're not meant to live in isolation. We're better together. And that is truly good news. I want to invite you to stand and pray with me. Jesus, we come before you on this morning, on this day that we get to celebrate women. Lord, knowing that you designed them to be ambassadors of your image, you designed women, Father, to be rescuers, to reflect the one that comes to rescue us, to be strong warriors, to be helpers, to be lovers, friends, companions, nurturers. You created us in your image, Jesus. And so we come before you this morning and we thank you. Thank you for choosing both men and women and through the power of Jesus Christ and all that he unlocked at the cross of crucifixion and by his resurrection, Jesus. Thank you for vesting your power in every man, woman, and child so that together we can move on the world in what Pastor Corey has called before as a pack, as a charge that moves forward as one united force that is better together for the renewal of this earth, to bring every man, woman, and child back into the fold, Jesus, just as you desired. Father, I pray that over these people gathered here today, Lord, that where there is hate and discord and anger and bitterness, Father, I pray that in this moment you would start tugging at that cord, Jesus that you would start pulling at it, that you would start loosening it and unraveling it just as you, 
Just as 1 John 3, 8 promises to destroy the works of the enemy, God, would you pull at that cord of hate, anger, discord, and bitterness, Jesus, and would you instead replace it with forgiveness, reconciliation, hope? You've given us good news. Let that optimism bubble forth from your people, Jesus. And as mothers, as women especially, Father, I pray, let your optimism fall on your people. Let it overflow to their homes, to their churches, and to their cities. We love you, Jesus, and we know that what's ahead for conduit is the renewal of our city. We stand in your presence, Jesus. We praise you. We worship you.